Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy, and we will be joined a little bit later by Tennessee coach Tony Vitello to talk all things Bulls baseball as they get ready for the 2021 season. Uh, Excited to bring you that interview here on the Baseball America College Podcast presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, we're, uh, we're, we're here in, in October, firmly into fall ball. We've, uh, we've got a lot going on here. We're, we're excited to bring in Tony Vitello to, to talk about the Bulls. It's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a fun time in college baseball. It's a fun time in baseball in general as the MLB playoffs continue. And uh, just uh, good to be back here on, on the podcast talking some ball. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, excited about our guest today on a couple of different fronts. Um, you know, spoiler alert, Teddy and I have already recorded the, the interview, so we have that prior knowledge, but we, we get into a little bit of St. Louis food discussion, uh, which is, which is good. Tony Vitello, obviously from St. Louis area. And I lived there a few years. So I have a little bit of, a little bit of knowledge there. So excited about that. Also, uh, because talking about Tennessee reminds me, and I don't say this just because presumably we have a number of Tennessee inclined listeners on this particular podcast, but it makes me think of Rocky Top, which I will always contend is very high on the list of like fight song bangers. Like Rocky Top is just a really solid entry into that category. So uh, a big fan there. Uh, any song that has like a, a coordinated woo in the middle of it is, is, <laughs> is high. And I say that without irony. That sounds like I'm making a joke, but I, I mean that. So between that and the discussion of Emo's Pizza, uh, it's a it's a pretty good podcast. I'm I'm uh, looking forward to talking a little more about it. Have you have you ever had Provel cheese, which is what Emo's Pizza features? Yeah, you know, knowingly, I cannot say that I have, and it sounds like something that I would know that I had, but I, I cannot definitively say that I I have had had that yeah. that particular kind of cheese, and certainly not on a pizza. Yeah, you would probably know it. Like it's it's a it's a unique cheese. It's a like a, I don't know how to describe it, like a processed cheese. It's a combination of, it's cheddar, Swiss, and provolone cheeses that are all kind of like mixed together to make this cheese they put on this pizza at Emo's. And it, it has like a, I guess it melts differently. That's what the, the benefit it is. So it makes it really gooey and kind of buttery, I guess is maybe how I would describe it. Um, and so like it, 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 it just has a different texture the pizza. And I think, so the people that don't like Emo's, they might tell you they don't like the way the Provel tastes. I would actually argue most of the time it's more of a texture thing because it, it does not have necessarily the same type of texture as you expect a lot of times the, the pizza cheese to have. So that that's just my take on it. I'm not a lifelong Emo's eater, but I've always kind of perceived that to be the, because the first time I had Emo's, I did not know Provel cheese was, was a thing. I didn't know in it. I remember kind of being like, this is different. I couldn't put my finger on it. And I think it was a, a texture thing. So I don't know, but um, big fan of, of Emo's pizza, spoiler alert, Tony Vitello. And, and I, you know, I like it too, but um, you would, you would probably know it if you, if you had Provel cheese, because it is a little bit different. And also it is typically front and center of, of if you're ordering something with Provel, they are very front and center about it typically. But before we get to to our interview with with Tony, um, you know, I he we we touch on it here that Tennessee, as an overall athletics department, kind of has some upswing momentum right now. The the football team under Jeremy Pruitt has 
been making strides. Rick Barnes has the basketball team running pretty hot. And uh, obviously what you've seen uh, on, in, on the diamond has, has been, you know, a ten- Tennessee taking several steps forward over the last couple of years. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, as, as a baseball, uh, a college baseball person, like I, that's, that's very good news in my lifetime. You know, I shouldn't say my lifetime. It, it, it's been a long time since Tennessee baseball has been on a national scale, really relevant. You know, they were out of the NCAA tournament for nearly 15 years, uh, before they got back in, in 2019. And, um, you know, this is a, a big time athletics university, big time, like engaged fan base. Joe was talking about how good the fight song is like the, everything about Tennessee, there there are just so many traditions that they have as an athletics department that, you know, I I think you can really tap into if you're, you know, any program on campus, but certainly, you know, the the baseball program and they have this huge fan base that it's a hundred thousand seat football stadium. And, um, you know, there, there's just a lot there that, you know, they're not a sleeping giant. Like, that's not fair to, to put that on them uh, in baseball. But, you know, this is a, a program that has a pretty significant ceiling that, that we have seen in the not so, so distant past. And so, I don't know, I'm, I'm very interested to see how Tennessee uh, goes about reaching that kind of potential and, um, you know, just overall as an athletics department, it seems like a very exciting time. And, um, you know, Joe, maybe you have some memories uh, of watching Peyton Manning play play football there, but, or or Bruce Pearls, you know, great Tennessee basketball teams. I don't know. There's just a lot to be said about what could be done at that university. And it it seems like the the programs are moving back towards that kind of ceiling, um, you know, as, as we progress into, into this new decade. Yeah, it does feel like there's just kind of a general progression going on there where, where Tennessee is is back where I'm sure where its fans think it belongs and, and certainly arguably where it belongs when you consider the, the entire history of that athletic department. And it, it is across all sports. I mean, um, football certainly headed that direction. Basketball has actually been a little more consistent longer term versus baseball and football thanks to you know, to Bruce Pearl, for example, in that run there. And, um, you know, now Rick Barnes has, has continued that. But, you know, Tennessee baseball was certainly a brand that I, when I first really got into college baseball, was a very um, a very big brand. You know, Coach Delmonico, they won a lot of games there. And, you know, we know, you know, uh, Todd Helton, for example, was uh, a big name to come out of there. Chris Burke, a big name to come out of there, former podcast guest Chris Burke. Um, uh, that know, podcast actually never aired. If you remember, well, that's right. That that is technical difficulties. That is the one that doesn't <laughs> exist. That's right. We recorded a podcast with Chris Burke. Sorry, balls fans. Yeah, we had a uh, we had a Chris Burke episode that we were running, and yeah, technical difficulties scuttled that. Burke, one. if you're listening and you want to come back on, like just let us know. <laughs> yeah. Also, our bad. You know, it was the preseason. We we still had things to work on. So yes, that, I forgot about. I forgot that was that one. Yes. So. Uh, anyway, uh, and then I think the last last real dude I remember at Tennessee before before things started to go south there was Luke Hoshaver and you know the '05 team that got to Omaha. Uh, so there's a there's a long long history there, not just in baseball but but in general, and it's been a, a long time uh, for Tennessee to really get back to relevancy just on the in the big 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 picture in, in terms of of the SEC. But but certainly it looks like it is heading there now. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's get into this with uh, with the man that knows Tennessee baseball better than anyone, uh, and that is uh, Coach Tony Vitella. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to be joined by Tennessee coach Tony Vitello. The Vols were off to a, a strong start in the 2020 season uh, before it got canceled, of course, and uh, have a lot of exciting pieces coming back. So, Tony, I mean, it, it just seems like there's a lot of momentum around this program. When you consider, uh, you know, making regionals for the first time in, uh, I, I think it was about 15 years uh, that the Tennessee had, had been gone from the NCAA tournament. You did that in 19, you won 40 games that year, uh, off to a strong start this year. And then everything that happened over the summer with Garrett Crochet just rocketing through uh, to the, the big leagues after being a first round pick. It, it just seems like this is a very exciting time in Knoxville for the Volunteers. 
Yeah, I, I think it is. And, and not to try and get you on our bandwagon too much here, but it's really kind of going all over campus. I mean, football is on an incline right now. Uh, both men's and women's basketball going great facilities. So uh, we're trying to do our part. And uh, we feel like at the very least, however you want to dissect the last few years, that we're making progress each year. You mentioned just how much overall there is. I mean, and the, the fan base in Knoxville, very excited just about all of the sports. Uh, you know, how much do you feel that when you're out and about, um, you know, when you can be out and about in the city with other people, uh, just the, the love that the Vols fans have for, for your team and, and, and for all their teams? Yeah, no, they're crazy. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it's in a good way. And I grew up kind of, you know, a fan of Pat Summit and Coach Fulmer's teams. And you, you knew it. Um, but I'd never been this far east to work and really to recruit, to be honest with you. Um, so it was a learning experience. And I literally, and, and this is more of just kind of a selfish thing, I literally learned to not wear Tennessee gear at the airport. Um, because here you're definitely going to get stopped or, or, you know, you may be trying to hustle to catch a flight or – you know, catch up on a recruiting schedule. And then at airports across the country, too, it's just an incredibly loyal fan base. And because there had been a little lull there, um, you know, really kind of starting with Coach Fulmer leaving the football program, uh, people are starving for it. And, uh, you know, they're incredibly friendly regardless of how things are going. But there's definitely a different vibe going on now uh, when, when things are going well and things are upbeat. And, and it's helped our program make progress, whether it be donator, donors committing to the program. Uh, our fan increase has been very noticeable. So uh, things helping us push forward. And there, there's no way we could do this thing on our own. So it, it's been a big help. Teddy mentioned up at the top, just the, the kind of start your team was off to in, in 2020 before the season was canceled. And a, a big catalyst behind that were some, some jumps that some guys had made. I'm talking about guys like Zach Daniels, Max Ferguson, Jake Rucker, just to name a few. What do you? What would you put that to? I mean, what was behind the leaps those guys made? Not just those guys, but anyone who really had come out like they did in 2020 to get you guys out to a 15 and two start. I just think development. I mean, anyone who's inside of our program or around the building knows that um, our our kind of theory is it makes sense. I mean, we don't have the in-state players Florida does. We don't have the tradition that LSU has. Uh, certainly where I worked previous at Arkansas, their stadium is fancier than ours. Um, we do have unbelievable player development facilities, but um, we, we hadn't been doing that great before we got here. So where are we going to make this ground up? And, and our goal was to get as good a people as we could possibly hire in the building because we had to start from scratch. Um, you talk about a guy like Frank working with the pitchers, but it's, it's many other support staff people like our strength coach. And, um, you know, I think those guys were committed to work with the people that we have here. And I think we've got a niche in this league and it's to develop guys. And some other people have tried to paint a different picture since we've gotten here uh, uh, related to recruiting and other things. But I think a skinny guy like Max Ferguson or a guy like Zach Daniels, who I used to tease all the time that he wasn't any good at baseball which freshman year, to be honest with you, he wasn't. He was just a great athlete. Um, and, and then the guy turned himself into a fourth rounder that might make it to the big leagues. I think development's a key word. And I know I sound like I'm recruiting you, but those guys work their butts off. And we've got really good people in the building that work alongside those guys. And, um, you know, we were having that success last year, essentially without crochet. Um, and until the very last game, Alaric, who was, a, you know, the 59th overall select, really wasn't himself or he wasn't tearing it up you know you could at least say that yeah I mean you mentioned that that you didn't have Garrett until that final weekend he, he'd been out with an injury and yet you were still pitching at a, a really high level I know that there was some talent on the mound uh, when you got there uh, and you know you, you guys have really made the most of that and, and Frank Anderson has done a great job with that development that you're talking about and he's done that throughout his career. What what made you want to hire Frank Anderson? And, and what have you seen working up close with him that, that makes him such a good pitching coach and, and has made him so successful for so long? Right. Well, hopefully I don't bore you with my story. But back when I got hired to be the pitching coach at Missouri, um, I had absolutely no clue what I was doing. <laughs> I was an infielder. And I was too young to really deserve that job. But Coach Jamison and I had a great relationship. and. Um, he hired me and we kind of worked together, but 
I was a business major and in grad school, you know, we learned about benchmarking and Texas where Frank was, was by far the best pitching staff year in and year out in our league. So I kind of did a research project on Frank and, and uh, he didn't know that till years down the road. And I mean, that's as big of a compliment as you can give somebody. And even though we didn't have a relationship, uh, you know, that kind of formed a mutual respect there. Uh, and then things kind of progressed a little bit from there. So Long story short, that, that's where that fit came in. And then the other thing was, uh, being a first-time head coach, you're never going to be quote-unquote ready. Uh, so I wanted to have someone that's been in that role before that I could lean on, and I've done it a ton with Frank. He's been tremendous with not just me, but all the young coaches we have on staff. Um, but I think the proof's in the pudding. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of videos out there or a great Twitter account. I know his son does. Um, but – the proof's in the pudding if you look at the numbers. He's done as well as anybody in the country over the last couple decades with pitchers, and it's, it's been phenomenal to be around him. And he doesn't have one magic formula. He just is really intelligent, and he's a hard worker himself. And it, it's worked out great for some of these kids he's been able to work with. When we look ahead to 2021, there's obviously a lot of reasons for optimism there. We talked about the general program momentum that you guys have going on top of the fact that you've just got a lot of talent back. Some of that is of course a, a function of a shortened draft, both from an incoming recruit standpoint and from a players in the roster standpoint. But uh, what, what has you most excited about 2021? What are you looking forward to? What kind of things are happening in fall practice that's, that's really getting you excited about the 21 season? Yeah, a little bit is the theme of picking up where we left off. You know, I, I think everyone's a little bitter uh, that it ended. Who knows how SEC play would have went. I mean, in our league, you can sink or swim in a hurry. Um, seeing Garrett do what he did, he's such a good teammate. Um, people now know that. Everyone around here is elated for him, but everyone around here has about 3% of their brain fix on, fixated on the fact he could have been throwing 102 for us in May and, and maybe even June. Um, but, you know, um, picking up where we left off has kind of been the theme and some people are motivated to get back after it, but also last year's group was so fun. And again, there's maybe not household names like Garrett, uh, that, that stick out, maybe not quite yet, but <clears throat> some of the success we were having was because of other guys that are so fun to be around and the chemistry was there and all those good things. And so I, I think majority of the guys are back and, and we want to get back to kind of having the fun that we were. And, I can't really predict what success we'll have. I mean, as a coach, you kind of learn to gauge what kind of team you'll think you'll have, um, and you can be fairly accurate. I think this year it's impossible to be accurate because, yeah, we're older. Yeah, we're pretty physical. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we have depth. Um, but there's not one program in the country that's not saying the same thing. So it's going to be interesting how this thing affected people, um, you know, and, and how it turns out results in the spring. Absolutely. Uh, we, we talked a lot about pitching here. Uh, what, what about on the offensive side? Who are you looking to? You, you've got a couple holes with uh, you know, Solari and, and, and moving on. And um, what, what kind of things are you, are you seeing offensively from, from this group so far? You know, Coach Elander, he does a phenomenal job of getting guys to hit like he used to in, in college. And um, guys have shown the ability to, to hit for power. And some of the, some, for some guys, that means doubles. Um, but in the fall so far, some guys have really shown some strength. And I, I think the theme will kind of pick up from um, the quote that was dished out at Round Rock last year when we had a couple uh, – we had three nice wins down there in Texas. Someone said you could almost flip our lineup, and Liam Spence, who was our nine-hole hitter, could be our leadoff, and, you know, basically 9-B1 and 8-B2. I think it's going to be similar this year. Um, Jordan Beck is a kid in my mind as a first rounder as a junior he's only a sophomore this year uh, so he stands out a little bit maybe more than the other guys but not by much um, there's some guys that are pretty strong in the middle of that lineup but they might end up hitting sixth or seventh when the season starts so um, I don't think we have any superstars I think Jordan is one of a few guys that's on the rise but um, it, it's going to be a one through nine attack where we probably will have a few home runs out of each one of those guys, regardless of where they're at in the order. On the, the pitching side, I, I wanted to ask specifically about kind of the, the usage there. Cause it's interesting when I look at what you guys did in 20, you've got a couple of guys who, who started every time out in a more traditional role, but you have a number of guys who 
either were, you know, stretched out relievers or started a game here or there. Um, you know, not to necessarily have you speak for, for Frank too much here, but I mean, what is the philosophy there in terms of the, the usage in 20? Was that a function of, of it still having been early by the time the season was canceled? Is there something larger in the philosophy there? And, and how does that inform what you think you will be doing moving ahead into next season? Yeah, you know, I'm glad you looked at that because I've asked many of recruits and, and their families to look at it, and I bet none of them do. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's, I like to do it. I, I like to try everything, and um, Coach A and I meet all the time on it. And, of course, he knows the kids better than I do because he's with them nonstop. But um, we want to try everything before SEC play rolls around. And uh, I'm not too big into wearing guys out before the league play starts because you guys know how much of a meat grinder it is. Um, and kind of a leave no stone unturned approach. And then we had some guys that were really good, like Jackson Leith um, was a valuable weapon. So we had the ability to use him in any way that we wanted. And he was kind of a swing guy for us. Uh, come in and blow it out for one inning because he's a 95 mile hour arm. I know he had one of those long relief outings you're, you're talking about. Um, so I, if guys throw strikes, we'll use them. It doesn't matter who they are. And that, that kind of stems from my. Uh, you know, time at Missouri. I mean, I gave Coach Tingler, you know, with the Padres, I played with Jace. I gave him uh, kind of a joke or some trouble. I said, we, we were doing that deal you did with nine pitchers way before you. Um, we, we had the one guy at anything going at Missouri for a, a year uh, in the past. So I think it gives everybody an opportunity. It's good for recruiting. It keeps guys fresh. Um, and then again, by SEC play, we've kind of experimented as much as possible. Um, but obviously, some of that stemmed from Garrett Crochet not logging a bunch of innings, you know, five, six innings each weekend. Uh, but one of the reasons we rested Garrett was because we knew we had these other guys and we could get off to a good start without him. And then starting with that weekend in South Carolina, where we never made the trip because of COVID, we were about to we were about to ride that 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 mule. I can tell you that. You uh, you mentioned that that's that the recruiting aspect of this and it's been going very well for you this year, you have a top 20 class for the first time since 16 coming in and um, sign, we're about a month out from signing day for the 21 class. And I know you can't talk about those kids until then, but uh, I can say it's going very, very well. Uh, what do you think is resonating for you on, on the recruiting trail right now? You know, th this is a great place. Um, I think some goofy things went on before Coach Serrano got here, and then I think Coach Serrano did a really good job. It just didn't click um, the way he had envisioned, and, and he and I have had good conversations about that. But th this is a place that should be good at basketball, football, baseball, women's soccer. I mean, Knoxville's phenomenal. The campus has really undergone some changes that, that make it a beautiful site. I mean, the river and the mountains, you all are familiar with it. Um, so we should have success here. And uh, I think that's kind of got us off to a good start. And then when kids come here, I think the things they really like is the young staff that they can relate to. Coach Anderson, even, you know, with his <laughs> workout and diets better than any of ours. So he's got the energy of a young guy. Um, I, I think they relate to the people that are around here when they visit. Um, and then the other thing is, our facilities are incredible. They're so close. It's ridiculous. The dorms, the cafeteria, um, everything that our guys would use is in a very small space. And uh, with the value of time, I think people get excited about that. And then, you know, the other thing is we've just tried to work like crazy. We knew we were in a hole and uh, coach Elander's fresh at his position as recruiting coordinator. He's been incredibly passionate about, you know, taking ownership of that role. And we've just been here to support them in whatever way possible. And it, as you said, with some of the yeses, it's gone very well. And of course, like everyone, we hear some no's too. Um, so we're just trying to figure it out as best we can and, and have guys that can put us in a position to win a national championship. You mentioned it a couple of times, your time at, at Missouri, and uh, you were on staff at your alma mater. Uh, when that program really got clicking in the, in the mid-2000s, and I'm curious, uh, if there are any comparisons you can draw between that program development at that time at Missouri and what you've seen at Tennessee over the last few years? Well, I'm going to throw out a name to you that maybe no one knows, but Sean McCann is here. He's our video coordinator. Our first year at Missouri where it really clicked was, I think, a magic formula of Sean McCann's one of the best assistant coaches in the country now for various reasons. 
he just he he's not in it as a as an assistant coach that's recruiting or anything like that. He was the pitching recruiting coordinator at Missouri that year. We turned it around, and then he moved on to K State and put together that team that almost went to Omaha if it wasn't for Conforto's throw. Um, he's my mentor. He's tremendous. Uh, Ian Kinsler was our shortstop at Missouri, so that was kind of a freak deal when he left Arizona State. And then Jace Tingler is the most competitive person I've ever been around in my life, and people are now learning who he is. He was our center fielder that year. So that kind of kick-started it. And, um, you know, after that, that's when the similarities, I think, would begin. We had a little momentum at Missouri uh, like we did here. We, we just kind of tried to put all the pieces in place that, you know, you're not short on any one thing, left-handed pitching, you got some catching depth, things like that, and then just go compete like crazy. Um, because, again, on paper, I don't know if we ever will be the best in the conference in any particular year on paper. Uh, but if we're developing guys and, and we've got a little chip on our shoulder with some competitiveness, we can make things go. And that that was kind of the theme that picked up at Missouri after we finally had a year where it clicked and we were winning that year. Uh, that was my volunteer year uh, as a coach where, where those guys were all in place. You also had a guy named Max Scherzer at Missouri. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I know you're, you're still close with, with Max. You still talk with him. What's the best Max Scherzer story that, that's like safe for this podcast? <laughs> Well, I've said it many a times, and it just pops in my head. I don't know that it's the best one, um, but we went to Chipotle. Uh, and, again, I'm a younger coach. I go with the guys. It's a cold-weather day, so we're all starving. And he took one down, and uh, he said, man, that, that didn't even put a dent in me. I, I think I'm going to get a second one. And everyone's like, well, then why don't you go do it? You know, don't talk about it. Be about it. So he gets a second burrito, and he's eating it pretty quick. And everyone, of course, is like, there's no way you'll eat three. Well, you're not going to tell Max that he can't do something or that he's not right. Uh, that's just how his brain is wired, and it's one of the reasons he's had success. And uh, you know, I'll be damned if he didn't eat three Chipotle burritos, which I think is probably about five thousand calories. And he paid the piper, but uh, you know, he, I guess he had the Chipotle championship belt that day. Um, so, so that's one that's comical that we all remember. But uh, I'll tell you this, and I know you only asked for one. I tell our players every year. I was coaching. Um, even though I was really young, those guys were very respectful to me. And, and I coached Jace Tingler actually one year. We got into it like 15 times, but he was always very respectful of me despite that crazy relationship. And I come around the corner after we, we lost to Texas by a, a big score. We won the series, and then they flew in J.P. Howell to pitch on Sunday after he was going to take the weekend off with an injury, and they just destroyed us. And we didn't give Max an inning. And I come around the corner, and he's standing there, and he was basically ready to fight me. Um, again, he was pretty respectful, but he wanted to know why he didn't pitch. He knew why he wasn't in the mix with some of those good big names we had, but he, he was smart enough to see that would have been a great chance for me to get an inning and get some Big 12 experience, and he was right. And his first career start was that next Tuesday. We gave him the ball um, basically because he wanted it. And um, – it was a pretty pretty interesting confrontation we had, but again, there was no disrespect there, but it just showed how fired up he can get and how competitive he is, and and that's evolved into a, the thing where he's basically a monster now. You know, talking about the, this time at Missouri, I mean, it, it kind of strikes me just how many guys have gone on to do big things in baseball, still at a relatively young age. I mean, you're coaching an SEC program, you have a Cy Young winner we're talking about. Uh, you have an MLB manager we're talking about. Uh, there, there are other guys that, that are still around the game a lot. What about it that, that Tim Jamison had created there, do you think, uh, kind of enabled you guys to, to take these steps and, and make the development that you needed to make at that young age to, to push your careers forward? His integrity. Uh, I mean, I just remember we got a big-name recruit uh, when he committed, the, the, the basis of the story was he said, I, I hope you learn from this, that if you treat people the right way, it'll come back to you in the long run. And it was a great example. So he pointed that out and it was something I always remembered. And he just always treated people fairly and, and um, you know, gave people the freedom to be who they were. And also, I think, sparked a little bit of a competitive edge in him, which people that don't know him that well, he's very stoic in the dugout and as a personality. 
um, but he had a chip on his shoulder and, and it carried over to a guy like Jace Tingler who they, hopefully they don't, both don't hear this. I don't know which one of them's taller, but they both look like jockeys, you know? <laughs> and, and so you kind of got to have that edge on your, on your shoulder and, and they did. So I just think the way he treated people and the way he helped develop guys and, and was, you know, fair to people. I mean, Jace Tingler, again, was a guy who no one really recruited heavily, um, but was given every opportunity in the world at University of Missouri, even though he was only, you know, five eight, five nine. I think he came in weighing 135 or something like that. Um, and, and so I, I think that helped guys. Again, Max was not a big-name recruit in high school. He only had a fastball freshman year. He was walking close to eight guys per nine innings when we had that confrontation in the dugout. Um, but they were all given more than just one or two chances. And some of these stories may not exist without that type of environment that he created. And um, I, I just think he did a phenomenal job there. And obviously, I owe him a ton. You know, Frank, who I work with now, was at Oklahoma State at the time. And he always called Coach Jamison Joe Torrey. Um, he always felt like Coach Jay was one of the best guys in the league because not how many trophies he had because we didn't win any but because of what he did with what we had, you know, cold weather environment, not a great facility, um, so on and so forth. But he certainly made the most of that with that run that we went on there. So we'll start to wrap up here with uh, the way Teddy and I have been wrapping up most of these uh, podcasts we've been doing lately with coaches and players. And that's with a little bit of a food question. Now, typically we ask the guests to describe their favorite sandwich and I will still give you that option. However, because you're from St. Louis and I spent about five years living in the St. Louis area, we're going to give our St. Louis-based listeners a little bit of a treat here. So you can describe your favorite sandwich or you can give us your favorite Italian restaurant on the hill in St. Louis. A great question. If it's a question I get excited about, as you probably can tell, I'll ramble. So I'll take this in two directions. My favorite sandwich in Amagetti's is on the hill. Phenomenal Italian place. And, and now that you mentioned it, describing my favorite sandwich, I'm, I'm a pretty plain guy. I like meat and cheese. And uh, that might be a reflection of kind of how I handle some other things. I just like the basics. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll kind of flip it on you. My favorite Italian restaurant is actually close to my parents' house in Chesterfield. It's called Paul Mano's. And the guy played soccer for my dad. And um, straight off the boat, Italy, folk. And anyone who's ever in that area, Mano's is actually a restaurant that a lot of big league guys, I mentioned Joe Torre early in the podcast, he used to frequent there all the time. And uh, I go way out of my way to make sure I get some Mano's in me anytime I visit my parents or we got some recruiting going on in Missouri. So uh, makes me want to go back now. That is, a, that is a good choice, actually. That, that's a good call to, to go to a little different neighborhood there. One other quick thing. Do you, do you, what do you, how do you feel about Emo's Pizza? Do you like Emo's Pizza? I know it's probably, it's, it's probably near and dear to your heart. I get it. But like, yeah. objectively, do you like Emo's Pizza? Uh, I definitely do. Okay. I literally just had a conversation uh, about this. You either love it or you hate it. And uh, I'm on the side that loves it. I don't go, I like to get a dose. I don't overdo it, but uh, I'm on the love side. Yeah, I'm with you. It's good stuff. Provel is is a acquired taste, maybe, but I, I I'm right there with you. Yeah, it's different, but uh, it's definitely a go-to when I go back home as well. The Italian food in St. Louis definitely definitely worth taking. Special trips, ma making that extra extra little drive for like finding the, the best one. It is. Uh, it out is. There. We need some of those folks to come over here to Knoxville and fire <laughs> something up. We got unbelievable food here, but. I don't know that there's anything like uh, Mono's rocking and rolling around here. Yeah, that's uh, that's special stuff. We uh, we definitely appreciate you uh, you getting everyone's appetite up uh, with, with that uh, <laughs> with that talk, including mine. No, I appreciate you guys. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today on the podcast. Uh, an exciting time in Tennessee baseball, as we talked about, and uh, going to be looking forward to seeing what the Bulls have uh, on the diamond in 2021. I appreciate it. I am too. You guys have a good one. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you again to Tennessee coach Tony Vitello for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Joe, before this interview started, we were talking about, you know, the overall upward momentum of the program and, um, you know, that they have a lot going on there. You know, when you look at what they accomplished over the last two seasons, 
uh, even in an abbreviated 2020 season, they, they did very well. And then Garrett Crochet just, you know, shooting to the big leagues and, and shooting to success in the big leagues. Um, you know, it has to be a, that, that, that's great for Tennessee's recruiting pitch, I would say. And, you know, that they have, they just have a lot of, a lot of momentum as they go into this 2021 season. I am going to be very interested to see what it looks like. They do have a lot of the team back, but, you know, like Coach Patello was saying, there aren't necessarily the big household names like Garrett Crochet was at this time last season. So I'm just interested to see who kind of emerges uh, in, in those roles to, to lead Tennessee uh, forward and, and you know, just kind of take on some of the mantle that, that is lost when you lose two, two top 60 draft picks like they did this June. Yeah, I think Tennessee in, in 2020 and then moving forward into 2021 is, is a case of where two things can, can really be true. The results speak for themselves in 2020, although that, you know, certainly ended on a weird note, losing two of three to Wright State. And, and I don't mean to disparage Wright State. I think we're all well aware of how good that program has been historically, but certainly that's a series that you would expect Tennessee to win, especially a much improved Tennessee team. So that was a bit of an odd note to, to end the season on, but, but by and large, just a unmitigated success in, in 2020 for Tennessee. And so I think I have been a little bit guilty of looking at, you know, okay, they're, 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 they're losing crochet. We, we knew that was going to be the case. Uh, we knew there was a pretty decent chance they lose Alaric Soleri, and they do. And then Zach Daniels was really the one that was less, a less of a sure thing, and they end up losing him as well. So I think it was easy for me, and I think you and I had this conversation when we talked about ranking teams this offseason of, you know, it feels like there's some holes there and there's some uncertainty. And then we kind of look at the roster, and, and I know I came to the conclusion where I thought, you know, probably selling this team short. There's still a lot of talent here. And so I think, though, what that makes me think of, though, is that it still felt very much like while they were having success, it still very much felt like, and, and Mattel alludes to this a little bit when, in the interview there, that they were still kind of a work in progress. And work in progress does not necessarily mean that they weren't having success or they were bad. Clearly, they were not. They, it was a good team. But it still felt like they were figuring out who they were, kind of outside of those guys who you you know, who we mentioned, who you kind of knew what they were going to be, even though we, we hadn't seen it from Crochet yet. And so I do stay, still think we're going to see in 2021 a team that is still trying to fit some pieces together, knowing that they have a lot of really talented pieces and now some pieces who are proven, at least on, on, on some level. And so um, I, I think there should be a lot of confidence. They kind of pick up, as, as he alludes to, pick up where they left off in – they pick up in 2021 where they left off in 2020. But I also do think there is going to be a little bit of, of shuffling of pieces and maybe some guys who had big, big roles in 2020 have a little bit of a lesser role in 2021 or as playing a different position or pitchers are in different roles or, you know, it was only four weeks in 2020. So maybe someone who was off to a hot start in, in 2020 doesn't translate it to 2021 and, and he gets beat out. Like I think all of that is on the table, but I think in the grand scheme of things, I do think it's a program that picks up, largely where they left off in 2020, because like I said, I, I kind of went back and looked and was, was really probably selling just the depth, the quality depth they have on this roster a little bit short at first glance. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that when you're looking at uh, the, the roster, there's just a lot of talent on it. Um, th there aren't like we kind of alluded to guys that, that really uh, pop there, there aren't the household names yet, but that doesn't mean that, you know, they aren't there. Like he, he was talking about with Jordan Beck, like, okay, as a freshman, he hit 275, um, 470, 396, 475. Um, but, but when I like, you, you mentioned this in regards to the pitching staff, and we didn't really touch on in regards to, to the offense, but they just use a lot of players. And, you know, so the, those first four weeks um, leading into SEC play, he's talking about the, the philosophy is they just want to try as many things as they can, and then they'll figure, you know, settle into a more normal lineup or rotation, bullpen usage, whatever, uh, as they get in a conference play. And so I, I would have been very interested to see what they would have landed on in terms of some of these things. And I, I think that 
you know, they just have so many different options coming into this season. And when you look at what they brought in in terms of a recruiting class, they're, they're bringing in a lot more really talented options as well. Um, you look at a guy like Blade Tidwell, who made a huge velocity jump you know, right before the draft last year. And you know, maybe in a normal year, like, like we can say this for almost every team around the country, like in a normal year, this guy wouldn't have gone to campus. And you know, maybe in a normal year, Blade Tidwell pops that velocity in, you know, and, and by that velocity, I mean upper 90s. Um, you know, maybe he pops that in March or April and actually gives MLB scouts a time, time enough to react to it. And they're actually able to, to go out and, and sign that guy in the draft. Well, instead, he popped it in late May or June. I don't even remember what weekend that tournament was. Um, and, and that was just too late in the process in a five-round draft, I think, for, for teams to, to, to figure it out. And so he gets to campus. And, you know, he's rated as like the 411th player on the, the BA 500 because we didn't have time to react to it. He did it, you know, very briefly before the draft. So what does that look like now being there? And they brought in some exciting junior college arms. And Alex Gonzalez is a, kind of a ready-made defensive shortstop that can, can step in for them. So you just look at the recruiting class and they're bringing in some exciting stuff. They have some exciting stuff already. And, uh, you know, the SEC East is very robust, obviously, when you look at it. Florida, Vanderbilt, you know, kind of at the top. What does South Carolina look like now? Uh, they have a lot of talent coming in, moving around. And, uh, you know, Georgia uh, has a lot of things to, to kind of replace. But they're, they're at a, a, a group that, you know, again, a lot of talent. Very exciting. We've, we've seen what the Bulldogs have done for the last couple of years. The the East now is, you know, it, it's very robust, and, and I'm going to be just very interested to see how that shakes out this season. Uh, and, but Tennessee is going to be a factor in that SEC race and the SEC race specifically, uh, certainly this spring. One of the amazing things about their roster too is that I think sometimes when you have a program that's on the rise like Tennessee has been the last couple of years under a new coach you kind of, and you see these kind of new, new names that pop up. I'm, you know, mentioned a couple of them, you know, guys like Jake Rucker and Max Ferguson, who, you know, in 19 were just, you know, uh, kind of role players. They weren't stars. 2020, they take on starring roles. And then, uh, you know, to a certain degree, Zach Daniels fits into that mold as well, although he is now gone. But so you kind of, I guess sometimes it's easy to assume that, you know, this is kind of a, you know, a tear down and, and build up job, but not only was Garrett Crochet a guy who was already there when when Vitello got there, but there are still like guys like Pete Durkay is still on this this roster. Will Heflin is still on this roster. Luke Lipsius is still on this roster. I mean, those were those were Coach Serrano recruits, and they're still around and and have roles. And so there there is also a veteran component to this this team as well. And I think that that serves them well that it's it's not just a team that's kind of all come up together as first and second year players the last couple of years there there is a, a leadership component there and and not just old guys who are just hanging around I mean those are guys who have roles and you know who will who will probably be part of the mix in in 2021 and that's something that I had had kind of overlooked and, and forgotten a little bit but those are guys you know I went to I remember my first year I, I moved up to the Midwest and started covering games in the Midwest for the 17 season yeah the 17 season was my first year living I had moved from Texas to the Midwest uh, for the second time in 2017 was covering games. My first weekend of the season that year, I saw Tennessee play and, and, you know, that was the, the freshman year for a lot of, of those guys. And, and so seeing some of those names is still kind of crazy to me that they're around, but, but there they are. And I do think it gives the, the roster a little bit of, a little bit of depth and a little bit more of a feel of, um, you know, having, having some veteran leadership still around. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I it's uh it's an interesting team you know again they they have a lot of versatility uh among the pitching staff and and the offense as well uh and that's just kind of been a hallmark for what they've done over the last few years a lot of guys can play in a lot of different positions and and give them a lot of different looks and uh it sounds like that's not going away and you know i'll I'll just again I'll, i'll be interested to see how they how they line that all up 
uh, especially in a year where you have bigger rosters, some unexpected guys returning, unexpected guys coming in, all the rest of that, uh, you know, due to the the shortened draft and, and the extended eligibility of players. So an interesting time as Tennessee really gets going here with fall practice uh, in October. And um, we'll, we'll be interested to see what comes out of that and, and the way they line it up, uh, you know, both at the start of the 2021 season, but also what it looks like, you know, by the time the, the calendar flips to, to May next spring. Uh, so definitely a team to follow. Um, we'll, we'll be very, very interested to see uh, where, where things go and, and how they progress there in Knoxville. Uh, okay, Joe, this week, our top 25, which again, we're doing all off season top 25s on Monday, just like we, we do during the season, only we don't rank the teams, we, we rank something else. And this week, uh, we, we're kind of looking at around college baseball at the, the returners and you know, there's not a whole lot of like the, the biggest power hitters in college baseball last year are now pretty much all in pro ball. When you think about you know, the first round seeing Spencer Torkelson, Nick Gonzalez, Heston Kerstad, Aaron Sabato, Austin Wells, all of them, you know, go on to become first round picks. So they're all gone. Even a guy like Justin Durden or Kale Emshoff, you know, maybe not quite the, the level of prospect as those guys. Uh, that were first-round picks, but they're now gone as well, uh, having signed free agent deals. And so there's just kind of this vacuum at the top of the home run leaderboard. And so we took some time to kind of try and forecast the contenders for for the 2021 uh, home run crown. And uh, we put together 25 of them and and, and put put that out there. I would encourage you to check that out over at baseballamerica.com. We ranked Miami first baseman Alex Terrell, number one on that list. Uh, that's a guy that has hit, um, you know, has, has ranked near the top of leaderboards before uh, the, the last full season played. You know, Terrell was, was up there with the leaders. So he's kind of the experienced guy. But, you know, there are, there are a lot of options. And, you know, Terrell has been at kind of streaky in terms of his power at times. So, you know, certainly not a slam dunk that, that he would be the, the home run leader next year. Um, so Joe, as, as, as we dug into that, what kind of, what did you learn, uh, as, as we were looking for contenders for next year's home run race? I mean, the first thing, and this is something that you and I discussed in an offline conversation a couple of weeks ago, that the seed for this idea was actually planted a, a couple of weeks ago when we were, we were just looking at stat leaderboards for college baseball. And we noticed that, that most of the big name sluggers or even the sluggers who have put up these big home run totals were no longer there. And so the first thing learned was that Santa Clara's Jake McNichols will go into the 2021 season, I believe as the career leader in division one college baseball, with 37 career home runs, which is a good number, but is also not an obscene number. Um, so that was, that was a little bit of a, a surprise just a couple of weeks ago going into that. And you see that kind of throughout um, some of the guys we have on this list have had really one big season you know, in terms of, of home run totals, but they're among the favorites to lead in, in 21. Streakiness is kind of an interesting thread, I think, with this group, just kind of in general, because I think it fits for, for Terrell. I think there's also some of that with uh, Nico Cavadas, who, uh, you know, had a big cape, was kind of his coming out party in 2019. And, and in 2020, he was off to a quick start, but, but certainly uh, – still kind of working on being a complete hitter and a complete player. And I think that goes for Elijah Cabell as well. I mean, Cabell's power has at Florida's Elijah Cabell from Florida state. I mean, his power has, has shown through, but still working on becoming, you know, a complete hitter. So there's, there's some of that. I also think one of the fun things about this is that it's not just the best players or the strongest players or the guys with the raw power. You also have to consider the, the atmosphere in which they play you know, the hitter, whether it's a hitter's environment or a pitcher's environment, not to take anything away from guys like Bobby Seymour and Chris Lanzilli, but you, you certainly like their chances a little more playing their home games where they do. Wake Forest has a, a hitter's park. You also have to take into account a guy like Jason Hinchman at Tennessee Tech. Um, now, he did also hit 24 home runs in 2019, so this is not just a complete prospect play here, but, you know, he plays in the OVC. So you've got the track record. He plays his game in – 
games in the OVC, which is a, is a hitter's league for a few different reasons. Uh, Brock Anderson of Murray State is also on this list for a similar reason. So that, that's kind of a fun little um, bit of this list, too, is that it's not just about the best players. It's also about who are you betting on, you know, maybe facing pitching that's not as good in ballparks that are a little bit smaller. And in the case of the OVC, using a different baseball, like there's, there's a few things that that go into that. Um, so it, it was a fun list to compile because it's not, it's not just a one size fits all thing. There are a lot of reasons guys are on this list. Um, so there's, we were pulling from a few different buckets. There was the, the raw power buckets. There was the really accomplished hitter that, that, that maybe could turn some, you know, gap power into home run power. And there was also just the slugger in a, in a place where he's probably going to have conditions where he can hit a whole bunch of home runs. It, it was, it was kind of fun to pull players from all those different buckets and, and put them on one list. Yeah. I am kind of endlessly fascinated by this because for, you know, I, for three seasons now, we've really kind of known who the, the top sluggers were maybe, maybe even roll it further back or, but you know, Torkelson has just dominated the, the, who is the best home run hitter in college baseball argument, debate, whatever, for three years. Andrew Vaughn was a big part of that before it, Seth Beer before that. And, you know, Zach Collins, like there there just have been these returning sluggers for for so much of this that, you know, I maybe some of this, you know, because Torkelson as a freshman led the country in home runs and nobody could have predicted that that was going to happen. So maybe I'm, you know, looking at back at this and in a way that wasn't quite true at the time, but it just feels like this race is going to be so much more wide open than what we've seen in, in recent years. And considering how much returning talent there is in college baseball, that just seems kind of wild. You know, every time we have a coach on as a guest, you know, you guys, that listen every week hear it like they, they talk about you know tony mentioned it today like you know we have a lot coming back but you know what does that mean because everyone has stuff coming back well what's not coming back necessarily is established power hitters and you know so if you have one of those what is that going to mean for you as a team and um you know who's going to emerge this year i that that just is a, a very fascinating thing for me so i that's why i wanted to do this uh, that's why I was, you know, really interested as we were pulling it together. And one one thing that stood out to me was just how much ACC talent is on this list, especially high up. And, you know, I remember our, our friend Mike Rooney two years ago talking about the best thing about the ACC was its freshman class. Well, those guys are now, you know, juniors and they're represented. You see Adrian Del Castillo, you see Alex Benellis. Um, You also have some guys that, that are um, – you know, this, this is their fourth year of you know, Terrell, Seymour, Lanzilli, uh, those guys. So all of that, you know, comes together and there are a lot of ACC players on this list. I don't know if that means that the, the ACC is going to come up with next year's home run champ, uh, but they're going to have a lot of chances if, uh, you know, the, the, the way it looks right now. So that, not great news for ACC pitchers, I guess, <laughs> would be one of my takeaways uh, from, from this list. Yeah, tough times here. Here, an ACC pitcher trying to navigate these lineups. Yeah, I think it's interesting not to open up Pandora's box on the conversation too wide. But you and I have had another conversation. Um, well, you know, if if we would just have the conversation, you know, I, I say so many times, oh, we had an offline conversation. But you know, we uh, the the really interesting podcasts are the ones that we do offline, apparently. But we, we did have the conversation a few weeks back about how one of the things that the 2020 season cancellation robbed us from having are breakout stars, right? Like we can, we can project some of this. Like we did not need the whole season to be like, yeah, Jack Leiter is probably somebody to watch in 21. So there were examples of that. However, Jack Leiter was just really famous. There are a whole other subset of, I guess, you know, Robert Moore, Nate Savino, a couple others. However, there are a whole other class of guys who were really, really talented, but just didn't have that fame coming into a freshman season in 2020, or a guy who was going to make a big jump in 2020. And we might have seen flashes of it, but we didn't really get to see that through. And now we're going into a, a 21 season where, because of the nature of, okay, we, 
the draft, even though it was shortened, just lopped off the most productive or most famous or whatever, how, whatever percent of players the, are, are now gone. And we don't really necessarily have that next class to fill that in. We, have a, we, we do with the 21s, the 21 drafts, because those guys had a full freshman year and then, you know, we, we saw 2020 as our sophomore year. But the class behind that, we just don't know as much about. And so, you know, when I look at Carlos's draft rankings or you and I have conversations about those guys, there's just a little more guesswork going on. And, and, and that, that is true of, of everyone, you know, that no one, no one particular, uh, you know, that, that, that goes for everybody. But that is interesting. And I think the 21 season is going to be, a lot of time is going to be spent trying to kind of reintroduce yourself to players that maybe had been a little bit forgotten and also just being introduced to guys that we probably would have gotten to know in 2020 had we been able to play the entire season. Yeah. I mean, I I think a guy like Peyton Graham at Oklahoma is a great example of that. If you caught Oklahoma this year and you know, they had high profile weekends, you you very well may have opening weekend against Virginia or during the, uh, the Shriners college classic Houston, uh, but if you if you saw them, Peyton Graham popped, but there was so much focus on what Oklahoma was doing on the mound. Peyton Graham's just a freshman, um, you know, so he probably wasn't the focus of anything offensively. But look at what he was off, the start he was off to. That's a really talented player, uh, and, and he now ranks in the top 15 of those 2022 draft rankings. So, you know, what does he look like over a full season? You know, I, I'm going to be very interested to, to see that. Uh, he appears on this list without having hit a ton of home runs as a freshman. He hit a lot of doubles, though. And so if with, you know, we, we had the longest offseason th- these players have ever had, a lot of them, I imagine, are going to come out stronger. Now, obviously, not everyone had, you know, full weight sets available to them for the whole time but they had plenty of time to work on conditioning and you oftentimes see guys get stronger moving between their freshman and their sophomore years anyway so if graham can turn some of those doubles into home runs you know all of a sudden he might become that kind of slugger um you know we'll see uh but that's kind of some of the unknown and there, there is a lot of unknown i think especially with the hitters you're talking about famous players like a lack of famous players i think that's especially true uh with the hitters when when you have jack leiter and kumar rocker um you know as two of the most famous pitchers and and players in college baseball i I just think that the pitching is a little more well known when you start talking about even in the the 2021 draft class guys like ethan wilson um colton kowser just those guys being as prominent they are uh, playing at mid-majors, I think they're probably a little more under the radar. Judd Fabian is, you know, should be very famous, but he had an okay freshman season for, um, you know, one of the worst Florida teams in the last five years, you know, still making it to regionals, but not making it to Omaha. Uh, and, and he wasn't the the best hitter on that team. So maybe fans are still kind of getting used to to him and, you know, a Christian Franklin at, at Arkansas definitely overshadowed by Kerstad and, and Casey Martin this year. Um, you know, so those guys, I think, are, are still getting introduced to people. And we're still kind of figuring out what they are. And, you know, even Christian Franklin, who you saw, we've seen plenty of for the, the year and a half that, that he's been able to play there. Um, what's it going to look like if teams are focused on him a little more, you know, without Heston Kerstad to, to draw you know, the, the top line on the scouting report, what does it look like when that's now everyone's thinking about how do they beat you? Um, so I, a lot to be learned in terms of, of these hitters. And, and again, I think that you, you see that appear um, on a list like this. And so, you know, maybe the, the home run champion will be somebody that, that Joe and I didn't even consider. Hopefully it's a guy that's on this list, but I, I, I do think that that race is going to be something that, uh, is very interesting to watch uh, next season and frankly going forward because again, you know, somebody is going to make a move this year. Some young player is going to make a move that you know is is going to appear not only near the top of the 2021 leaderboard but also the 2022 one. Um, so 
I'll, I'll be interested to see what kind of power threats emerge across college baseball over the next couple of years. Because right now, the, it, the, there's no clear best slugger in the country for me. I'm with you. It, it is going to be an exciting race on a couple of fronts. One is the idea of kind of a new king of the sluggers emerging in, in college baseball, and maybe someone comes along as a freshman or you know, as a, as a second year freshman to use that the COVID parlance comes along and has a big year and, and really sets the tone for a couple of big years after it. Or the, the other part of it is that uh, maybe this is just fun for me, but college baseball's home run leaderboards in history have been littered with kind of random dudes from low and mid major schools that just have these massive years. And I think that's kind of fun. Uh, you know, it's, you, you, you um, it, it gives an opportunity for a player in a non-traditional place to kind of shine through. And, and maybe it's, 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 you know, in those cases, it's often not a prospect. It's a guy with a lot of strength or isn't a complete hitter, but has a lot of power, plays in a league that has not great pitching, plays in a small ballpark. But that's kind of what makes college baseball fun in a lot of ways is just some of that uncertainty and some of that weirdness. And the fact that it's a little bit of an uneven playing field, it's just kind of a quirk of the game. And so while it wouldn't be nice if a guy like Alex Terrell, a very famous, accomplished player at a great program like Miami, you know, leads in home runs. There would be kind of a nice symmetry to that. On the other hand, some random guy that, and I, I won't name a school because I don't want to be disparaging, but some random guy we've never heard of at a school that finishes under 500 wins the home run race. That would also be pretty fitting of college baseball as well. I will, because I should have mentioned his name by now. I, I want to throw out Memphis's Hunter Goodman as a, a player. I should have mentioned him as a guy that could have taken a step forward in terms of fame last year. Um, playing at Memphis, not you know having not played in in regionals, um, you know I think his and not having had a USA season, a USA summer, or or even a, a big Cape summer to kind of elevate his status. I think that's a name that might cut. Um, you know, be, be a little more unfamiliar to, to some fans. That's a player to watch in this. Um, you know, he also, I guess, has a chance to like get walked 55 times and, and not have the chance to hit that many home runs. Um, but, you know, that, that is a, a player that, that I certainly have my eye on. Joe, is there anyone uh, that you want to throw out, you know, beyond Terrell at, at the top of the list? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned him a little bit. I mean, Hinchman, like I, I told you in a, in a Slack message that if I had to actually put money on one of these guys, I'd probably go Jason Hinchman just because it's it's OVC, it's the track record, all that kind of stuff combined. Also, it, it's one of those deals where he, he is a little bit of a walk risk too, but, you know, I don't know in that, in, that, in that those conditions, I don't know that it matters, matters a, a, a ton there. Um, I would actually, I think there are, there's, so there's a couple guys that towards the bottom of this list that kind of piqued my interest if, if we were actually kind of taking some, some bets on these. Um, one of them is Parker Chavers at Coastal Carolina, which, oh, by the way, is another candidate for like guy that probably would have been a lot more famous if we'd had a 2020 season. Now his was partially injury related in 2020 more so than the season being canceled. But um you know, big well, year if, in, if we'd had a season, I don't know that Parker Chavers is in college baseball. Well, anymore, that's, so. a, that's a better point. You're right. So 15 home runs in 2019. I also think the Sun Belt is the type of league. So if we're, if we're really going to try to like look at this from all the different ways in which it can happen for a player, he's clearly got the power. Also, he's playing in a Sun Belt conference that the top of that conference is good. The bottom of that conference is often not. So in a, on a good Coastal Carolina team where, yes, you are going to try to keep Parker Chavers from beating you, but it's not like you can just avoid Parker Chavers and get the rest of the lineup out. That's a good team. So I think he's going to get pitched to at least to some degree. So I think that's a candidate that stands out to me. Another one was Stephen Reed at Georgia Tech. On a Georgia Tech team we've talked a lot about, he's a guy that we haven't talked a lot about. Um, you know, he, he's the guy when you talk to people around Georgia Tech, they, they talk about things like but he just looks really good in the uniform. Um, he's worked on his body. He's added strength. You know, he's, he's perhaps got the most raw power on that team, even more so than a guy like Drew Compton, who people also talk about having a lot of raw power. Um, you know, so he's a guy I look to because Georgia Tech is also just kind of an offensive-minded program, often putting up big numbers. So you can never really go wrong looking at, hey, who's the guy with the most power on Georgia Tech? 
and then betting on that guy. So a little bit further down the list, those are two, you know, if this were actually something you could bet on, like those are two further down the list that you might get longer odds on that might be worth a flyer. I, uh, maybe we'll see a day where uh, (laughs) we have this kind of prop at at sports books as sports wagering uh, becomes more, more common slash legal in this country, but we are not there yet. So I I don't know if you can find odds on that. Let us know. I'm on Twitter at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. Uh, Let us know if you, uh, if you find odds on the college home run race uh, at your, at your local sports book. Uh, so this is something we'll we'll certainly be talking about as as uh, you know the season progresses in in the spring to come. Uh, just something to keep your eye on, something to 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 check out and and uh, think about on a October day where where we were wishing there there was some more college baseball to watch. So you can find that over on the website. That'll do it for us today here on the podcast. Uh, we would really appreciate it if you subscribe to the Baseball America College podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're finding your podcasts, you can find us. Please, please subscribe, please rate, please review any of those things. Uh, we, uh, we appreciate them all. We will be back here with another edition of the podcast next week. Another guest from around college baseball will be joining us. Hopefully you've been enjoying those. Uh, interviews throughout the offseason and if you have an idea for one certainly let joe and i know uh, either as a podcast review or on twitter again at ted cahill or at joe healy ba so we want to thank you guys for listening thank you again to tony vitello for joining us here on the podcast today we want to thank rap soto for presenting the baseball america college podcast and remember you can check out their national player database at repsoto.com slash national database. So for Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll see you next time here on the Baseball America College Podcast.